Good morning. You glad you're here today? Yeah, I'm glad I'm here today. It's been a good morning already. Uh, we got to witness some baptisms in our first service. We'll get to see some in the second and then some in the third. And it was a great ministry weekend for many of you. What a great day yesterday, our luau to care for and love on the underprivileged and disadvantaged uh, in our community. And we had a great uh, mid-chapter meeting for our men on Friday night at the Lodge for Fight Club. And it was a great, great ministry weekend to just love on people and love Jesus. And I want to be in the center of that. And so I'm grateful we get a chance to. As we walk through this book, we're going through the book of Philippians, the joyride. It's Paul. He's in prison. He's on house arrest, and he has a Roman soldier chained to him. So give you some context. Don't forget that. So as he writes these words, he's chained to a Roman soldier. And here's what I know to be true about Paul and what he's trying to, to say to us today, that hardships reveal what you truly believe about God. When you walk through something difficult, you soon find out, God, I trust you. I believe you're faithful. I believe you're in control. And even in the midst of this hardship, I can still remain joyful because I still have you. I'm inspired personally by people that overcome and people that exude joy in hardships. In fact, I find myself even pressing against them and trying to listen to them and see what makes them tick. And I'm inspired and encouraged by overcomers, people who don't become negative when hardships fall, but remain joyful. And I was out running uh, last week, and as I was running on the Benton Trails, that's where I do all my running, and it was rainy and muddy, and I, I enjoy that. I know it sounds weird, but I love running all seasons of the weather. And, and I was near the end of my run, and to be quite frank, I was tired. I was wiped out and still had two miles to go, and, and so I wanted to just coast to the end. But then... What I will often do is think about people or the word of God where someone overcome, has overcome and, and then Jeff and Daniel Dunathan came to mind and, and I pictured Jeff pushing his son and, and I, I pictured him at one of our kickoffs in the snow, 12 inches of snow, pushing this three-wheeled cart and, and then seeing him on Friday night in the slushy mud that was there bringing his son and then knowing that Daniel had a heart procedure. But... I pictured him and I sprinted as fast as I could to the end and it was my best two mile run for many, many years. But something happens when you see someone stand above the fray and we need reminded of it. And in case you forgot, this is Jeff and Daniel's story. Watch this picture of someone overcoming hardships with joy. Well, for Daniel, what happened with him was, um, right after he was one years old he uh, we ended up having a seizure and was in a uh, coma for 20 24 days I would come home and work and his mom would stay with him during the week and then I'd take the his brothers down to visit him and uh then they would come home on the weekend, and then on Sunday they would come back down, and we'd reverse the whole process, and then I'd bring the boys home, his brothers. He did get better. I mean, he wasn't aboard no more. He, now he can move, he moves everything, but he still has, he still has brain damage, and they've, they've listed him with a CP, cerebral palsy. I have to do everything for him. 
from bathing, teeth, brushing his teeth, um, feed him. He, he can't hold anything. He doesn't, he doesn't walk, he doesn't talk. But Fight Club always re-energizes you. Keeps you focused, you know, gets you focused. And then uh, hopefully I'm not out of the loop too long before next chapter comes along. You know, then it pulls you back in and it, it gets you back on track. Because we are human, we do, we do fall off a track. It is, uh, it, it just hones you in, makes you a better man, and, and, and makes you a better family man, better leader. Um, and it's just a discipline that, that hopefully each and every guy needs. This chapter of Fight Club with me and doing it with Daniel, I do everything. Now I do everything with him, um, which means I, you know, with our devotions and, and, and our, our proverbs every day, and um, that's, it's just, it's just an important thing that we do every, every morning. That's the first thing we do. Daniel's, he's a special kid. If you ever think you're having a bad day, or if I think I'm having a bad day, I can come home and look at, and just look at Daniel. And boy, if somebody's got the right, that could have, that could have an attitude or a bad disposition. You know, he hasn't been dealt the best hand in life. Honestly, he's he's just he's just a he's just a wonderful boy, and he softened the hearts of many hard people and men, and he doesn't ask he doesn't ask for anything. He's just a you know your payment that he can give you is a smile. That is that is his. That's his special gift. My name is Jeff Dunathan, and this is Daniel Dunathan, and we are Fight Club men. This past week, uh, Daniel had a heart procedure done, a specialist in a hospital. I believe it was Monday or Tuesday, he went into the hospital, had it done, and he showed up Friday night at midnight, and he left at 3 o'clock in the morning when every other man left. It's a picture of, uh, of what it can look like when hardships knock on your door. Paul gives us a beautiful picture of that. And in fact, you might be a little convicted after today's message because Paul is a straight shooter, and he's writing from a prison, chained to Roman soldiers. And he says that this is how you and I can live as Christ followers. Grab your Bibles, and we're going to read Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 12 to 26. And, and I would ask you to please stand in our auditoriums, those of you in the south and those of you here and those that are watching online. Let's, let's read this out loud together. Philippians 1. Now, keep in context, as you read, think about this. 
He's on house arrest, chained to the elite of the elite soldiers, and he writes these words, Philippians 1, verses 12 to 26. Would you read it with me? Ready, read. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my change, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What should choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, your boasting in Jesus Christ will bound and count of me. You may have a seat. Think about this for a moment in the context of this message and this book. God places us in difficult places to advance the gospel. He does. I believe, and those of you who are Christ followers believe, that God's fully in control. And so there isn't anything about our lives. He's the author and perfecter, the Bible says. So he has written a story, and God only writes perfect stories. And I'll say this again. If God were to rewrite your story, he would write it exactly the same because he's a perfect author. And so everything that you and I will encounter or face and where we were born, where we live, what he allows to come our way was God's story for your life. And so you might be in chapter 20 and the end might be chapter 30 and or 50 or 60, whatever it is. He also promises, we saw last week, that he who started the work will complete, we can be confident, and he will finish what he has started and he will work it out for good. You see, when we know that to be true, we can write like Paul is writing here. God has a purpose for your life and for my life. And the story he has written includes hard things. Hard things have a way of sifting out those that trust his plan or prefer another plan. And you know where it shows up? In your attitude. It shows up in your response to the consequences. You'll soon find out if you really believe that God's plan is best. Sure, it hurts. Sure, Paul even said in Corinthians, there'll be points where you feel overwhelmed to the point of death. But hear me out. God allowed that to happen so that he can grow your character and he can get exalted through you in the middle of it. Life on earth is temporary. Some of us hold on too tightly to this. Once again, remember the setting. Paul's chained in prison. 
God determined what be written in the Bible. So think about this. Before the foundation of the world, God says, I want to have 66 books, and Grace Community Church will have them on this Sunday morning. There will be 39 books in the Old Testament. There will be 27 in the New Testament. The church fathers will come together in about 320 AD, and they'll sit together, and they'll take all these scrolls during that time, and the Spirit will invade that place. And then from that encounter over a period of time, we will have the canon, and every word of the Bible is inerrant, it's infallible, and it's without error. And he knew that we needed the book of Philippians for today. So he said, Paul, you're going to end up in prison to write this book. Paul was destructible because he was a human being, but he was not destroyed by this hardship. And he was convinced that his circumstances were an opportunity for greater advancement of the gospel. He said, I'm in prison because I... And here's why I'm here. I get to advance the gospel. You see, when you realize every hardship you face is a chance to advance the gospel, you, you get a chance to encounter people that you might never encounter before. Every hardship that comes your way is a chance for you to meet people you've never met before. Your hospital stay, unexpected, that wasn't on your calendar for the year. You didn't have that in your day timer, and out of nowhere, this, this hardship came, and you ended up in the hospital. as a chance for you to advance the gospel to the nurses and the doctors and maybe someone else that's in a bed beside you who doesn't know Jesus Christ. Your car problems that all of a sudden came and the check engine light came on, you were hoping it was the gas lid. You could just go and turn it. Ended up being the mechanic, and you got a bill for $700 could give you a chance to advance the gospel while you wait in the room with someone else who's getting their car waited on, or maybe it's a mechanic that went through a hardship, and you can tell them with Christ, you can make it. The unemployment line that you find yourself in because you lost your job is a chance to encounter someone you've never encountered before. You have a chance to advance the gospel. The death of a loved one while overwhelmed and you can't breathe and life has been choked off is a chance for all these friends that you've never met of your loved one. They gather in this place called a church or a funeral home and then the pastor comes and shares the gospel and you greet them in this line that you would have never met. It's a chance for you to advance the gospel. The short-staffed restaurant that you'll go to on Sunday afternoon, you have a choice to be patient. You have a choice to, to tip well because they're understaffed and this, this waitress or waiter is working hard for you. You have a choice to be impatient. You have a choice to have the joy of the Lord and give them a 50% tip. You have a chance to advance the gospel in every setting. That poor service that you received and you're quick to go to, the, to their Facebook page and, and say, this is poor service, I give it a one star. It's a chance to advance the gospel and not put one star and say nothing and pray for that business. You see, Paul was in prison, he was in chains, and he didn't allow the fact that Roman soldiers were setting him there to, to, to complain and be negative. He says, it's with joy, I get to advance the gospel. I love Paul's response. There's no pouting, nowhere recorded in Philippians. There's no woe is me. There's no reason to walk on eggshells around him in the prison because he's having a bad day. There's not one mention of the prison menu. <laughs> he doesn't say anything about the prison sleeping quarters. There's not one post on social media about the poor service he got while chained. He didn't complain about the dirty bathrooms and the Romans peeing all over the seat. And to be quite honest, we know nothing about his physical condition. 
other than he's chained. But what we do know is this, he says, I can advance the gospel. You see, these chains give me a chance to have a conversation with Roman soldiers who would never come to a Paul crusade. (laughs) Paul says this in verse 13. Look what he says. He says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul was guarded. I don't know if you knew this, but he was guarded by members of the elite Praetorian guards. Let me, let me just give you a little job description of these dudes that were hanging on him by chains. These highly trained soldiers served as a cross between the secret service of Caesar and the army special forces. That's a picture of who he was chained to. They were created by Caesar Augustus about 70 years prior to Paul writing this. They were paid double the wage and served only for 12 years. So they only had a 12-year time that they would serve as these guards. Most of them would retire. Many of them would die because it was a very dangerous work. And most of them would then become Roman senators and serve in government. They were the elite of the elite and they're chained to Paul. You know what that meant? It meant this. They would come to hear Paul preach. They would never come to hear him preach at a crusade. But now every six hours on the clock, they exchange their spots for new soldiers. So think about this. Four times a day, new soldiers would come. 28 times a week. And over 2,900 times in two years, someone else was chained to Paul. Think about this from the context of advancing the gospel. They heard him pray. They heard him preach. They heard him dictate letters, most likely to Luke. Day after day, hour after hour, the gospel advanced among the special forces. Isn't that awesome? You know he did. You know Paul. They probably had to kneel when he knelt because he would kneel and they wouldn't stand like this. And so they probably had to stand beside him. They probably heard him talking about the book of Romans and all the big theological words. And let me tell you what justification. Hey, I wrote this book to the Romans. You want to know about it? And they heard the gospel over and over. They They got dudes in doctrine day after day after day after day. They heard him pray. They heard him preach. And he was a captive audience. And the truth is this. He wasn't chained to them. They were chained to him. You see, that's what our God can do. When you realize that God is in control, hear me out. Every opportunity, every hardship is a chance to advance the gospel. There is no doubt these special force officers already knew who he was. You see, word was on the street because they wanted to kill Paul prior to him being in prison here And I got to believe this. These were the elite. These were the tough of the tough. These were the special forces. These men had no fear in them. 
And when you know someone like that, you have respect for someone who else is, who else is that way. In fact, I'm sure Paul says, hey, can I read the letter that I wrote to Corinthians? And just, just listen to this. And so these guards, they couldn't do anything because he could just keep talking. They couldn't shut him up. And, and so he said, hey, by the way, this was my life before you met me. If you think this is bad, let, let me give you a picture of my life before I came, became in prison to you. So he breaks out and says, this is what I wrote to the church of Corinthians. And so they had to listen. He said this. He says, he says I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in dangers from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food. I have been cold, I have been naked, and besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of everyone else, of, of the concern for the churches, who is weak, I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin, I do not inwardly burn. But if I must boast, I will boast in the things of the Lord. That's Paul. Can you imagine? Like, dude, they're chained to him. You've been through a lot. <laughs> and I bet if you and I were able to go back and interview these soldiers, I bet they had a great respect for someone that was advancing the gospel, even though one day Nero would most likely order his execution, and most likely, most likely, one of these guards took him to the execution, and most likely they took an ax and cut his head off, and I bet they remember what he said while he was chained to them. You see, we have a chance to advance the gospel in any situation. You see, you can focus on what you have or don't have. You can count your blessings instead of your disappointments. L let me give you a visual that I think you'll always remember. On my way to the office today, I stopped and bought some, some donuts, and they're jumbo donuts. Might be one of the best awesome illustrations I ever used because I get to eat three of them in services. <laughs> I don't know the last time I've ever eaten three donuts in one setting. But let me just give you a visual picture here. This is a donut. It's made of dough and it's sugary and it's, by the way, they're good. They're really good. And my flesh cries out for them. <laughs> but if you look at the inside of this donut, there's a hole. It's not full, like something's missing. And here's what happens to you and I if we don't focus on who we have in Christ. We can look at what we don't have instead of all that we do have. And we can spend all of our days, well, man, why did I get that? How come I got that service? How come I have to go through that? And you could spend all your day instead of enjoying the blessing. And I'm done. I'm going to stop. And we'll go day after day looking at the hole instead of realizing what we got in Jesus. Amen. 
Oh, pray for my wife. I'm going to be in a sugar high tonight. <laughs> How many of you will lose your lid over that when you have, or you had all that? <laughs> and Paul says, even though I'm chained, I have so much in Jesus Christ that why would I ever complain? Why ever would I complain? When suffering comes, and it will, hear me out, it will. I've lived 60 years. I've faced a lot of suffering. We must ask ourselves this question. What good can come from this? Can we be honest? How many of us become just the opposite? We become short and Cranky, petty, grim, and even judgmental. How many of us began to take it out on those around us and we soon become the worst version of ourselves? And if we're going to be miserable, then you're going to be miserable with me. You know what I'm talking? You, have you met him? You walk into the office and it's like... Like, this, like all the life is trying to be sucked out of that office. You come downstairs and you know, I'm going out the back door. Why? Because those people choose to be focused on this instead of all that they have in Christ. And Paul says, I'm chained. And it's not a pretty picture, but guess what? These elite special forces officers, they get to hear about Jesus Christ 2,800 times in two years. It's time to break this vicious cycle. Come on, let's stop it. Let's just stop it. Let's quit making up all these excuses like, well, I'm just wired that way and I'm made. You don't know what I'm going through. I don't know what you're going through, but God does. Let's break this vicious cycle of not trusting God's plan and that his plan is best for our lives and to break the spell of miserableness. I think the church of Jesus Christ needs a gut check. Let me just say it this way. We can do better. Can we do better? We're Christ followers. Even if we lose our lives, listen to me, the best is yet to come. We have a home in heaven. He's prepared a room for us. And if we're not so, he would not have told us that. And he has gone to prepare that place. This isn't home. Heaven is for Christ followers. Amen. Way too often, though, we let the circumstances we face determine our character and attitudes. And before we know it, and before we realize it, we lose our joy for days until we get what we want instead of what God has chosen to give us. And you know what happens? The enemy, he chuckles. He runs away because he started this little fire between husband and wife and, and parents and kids and teachers and coaches, and, he, and it's gone. He just runs on. But when Jesus becomes our focus, when Jesus becomes our hope, 
when Jesus becomes our reason for existence, contentment replaces our crankiness, our anxiety, as well as our fears and insecurities. It might even feel like you can't breathe. I've had those moments. Some of the hardest times for me personally is when our kids were sick. I can handle pain for myself, but when our kids weren't doing well, if I didn't think about these truths, it could wreck my day. Taking Josh in the early days to Cleveland Clinic and Riley Hospital, we must have been there 50 times, Ann and I, back and forth, just driving back and forth, trying to figure out what's going on with his esophagus. And I can remember times him coming out of the doctor's office and staying overnight, tubes running out of his nose. And I remember praying, God, just give it to me. Give it to me. He's got his life ahead of him. You see, it's in those times. I cannot stop and just focus on the whole. I need to focus on the Ring around and know that God is fully in control and I have enough in him. So Paul, while he's in prison, he has these friends. And these friends, this is their time to throw some arrows at him and stones. And, and look what he says in verse 15. I mean, look at Philippians chapter, chapter 1 and verse 15. He's in prison. Here's what happens. He says, it is it true. He says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love. Knowing that I am here, put here for the defense of the gospel, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in change. He said, but what does it matter? I'm in change and it doesn't matter. The important thing is in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached and because of that, I rejoice. He's talking about two different people groups here. Both are Christians. People will always be people. And one of the many things that I've found in my lifetime and you have found is this, is that the word of God reveals repeatedly that the very same things that people do now, they did then. So Paul has a group of people that begin to judge because he's in prison. Criticizing, well, what's a Christian doing in prison? You shouldn't have, you shouldn't have done that. So that, you broke the law and you shouldn't be in prison. Their motives are bad, he said. They saw Paul as competition, and the worse it got for Paul, have you ever met someone like that? They enjoyed it all the way, but they would never tell you that to your face. And they would say things like this. They secretly wish the worst for them so that they could later say, I told you so. Paul was destructible as a human being, but he would not be destroyed by the chains. Their motives were bad. They saw Paul as competition. When he saw them, he saw them through the lens of love. And when the heat came, he said, it really doesn't matter what happened or was said about me as long as nothing happened to stop the gospel message being advanced. You say, here's the truth. God spoke through donkeys to get his will accomplished. <laughs> he can use anything. 
I love this commentator's view on this. Just listen to this. It, 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 it's, it's so good that I want to read it word for word in regards to the people who were throwing bombs at Paul being in prison, who were, who were criticizing him. And this is what this commentator said. He said, it's important to note that whoever these selfish preachers are, they aren't false prophets or apostates. If they were, Paul could hardly have rejoiced in their preaching. No, they are true brothers in Christ who nevertheless are using Paul's situation as an open door to advance their own cause. They had the right message, the gospel, but preached it from a wrong or unworthy motive. Their message was good, their motives were bad, and their methods were questionable. And then he closes by saying this. Perhaps they said things like this about Paul. You know how much we love and respect our dear brother Paul. No one loves him more than we do. However, it seems as if Paul causes trouble wherever he goes. Insert sarcasm. Someone stones him or they arrest him or he has to sneak out of town in the middle of the night. I don't like to mention it, but there are bad rumors about him back in Jerusalem. I personally don't believe them but we can't reject them out of hand. It's possible he's guilty of the charges against him. He's a wonderful preacher, but he seems to stir up trouble everywhere he goes. Frankly, I think it's extremely embarrassing to have an esteemed apostle in jail. And in Rome of all places, perhaps it would be better if Paul had come out to our city. In any case, he can hardly be our spiritual leader while he's in jail. Let's agree to pray for him and ask God to release him and send him somewhere else, preferably a long way from us. It sounds convincing, doesn't it? Especially if you don't have all the facts. So while Paul is being chained, that's what he's hearing being spoken about him. Do you realize this, that a large part of learning how to choose to live above the voices that are against you is being broad-shouldered enough to let things go? To leave room for differences? To applaud good results, even if the way they arrive at them may not be your preferred method? It takes a lot of grace to not be petty, but the benefits are out of this world. I love this paraphrase of this verse here. This is what this paraphrase says. It's good. He said, so they translate this verse by saying, so what if some take unfair shots at me? Who cares, Paul said. What really matters is this. Jesus is being proclaimed and all that other stuff, I leave it to God to handle. Oh, if we could all land there. See, here's the problem. Anytime you judge someone's motives, you reveal what's in your heart and not theirs. It's a judgmental heart. Isn't it amazing, though? I mean, we can read this, and some of you have read this multiple times and probably been through the book. You probably read through your Bible. Maybe you're hearing it for the first time today and you just come to Christ. Isn't it amazing when the person of Jesus Christ is in full focus? centrally located in our hearts and minds, everything starts to make sense, even hardship, and it did for Paul. Why? Because order can come out of chaos, clarity out of confusion, 
life from death when Jesus is our highest earthly love. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Paul said in verse 21. How could he say that? Let me just say, let me, let me just straight, let me shoot straight with you. Death is just a change of address for Christians. That's all it is. Well, where, where's Jim? Well, he moved to heaven. <laughs> Who picked up the bill? There wasn't any. <laughs> God just took him home. <laughs> Paul remains confident in God's provision in his life. How did he, though? Like, how did he remain so joy-filled when others were criticizing him? How did he remain so joy-filled when he was chained up in prison to the special forces? It's the same way people in leadership do. Have you ever stopped, and you probably haven't, but I, I do this often because, just because I'm in a role of leadership, have you ever wondered how political leaders can stand the unrelenting criticism they face day after day? Regardless of whether you, you're Democrat, Republican, or whether you're none. Have you ever wondered how do politicians, like, how do they deal with thousands and thousands and thousands of emails? How do they deal with news networks that are opposed to them and news networks that are with them? How do they go to bed at night? They got to know that half the world hates them. Like, how do they do it? Or how does even, how does a principal deal with that? You have no idea what a principal deals with. Parents calling, I want this, I want it this way, get rid of that, give that. How come my kid didn't have this? How do they stand? Or how does a CEO or how does a vice president or president of a company stand amidst all the criticism? How does a coach in today's world with all those crazy parents in the stands? How do police officers not lose their lids? How do pastors continually stand week after week even though that week their inbox was littered with whys. I can only answer for myself, but I believe it's true amongst all those groups of people. For me personally, it's because I'm committed to the cause that is beyond me, and I believe so much in the cause of Jesus Christ that it doesn't matter what's said about me or what happens to me. I would say that's true for business owners, vice presidents and presidents and teachers and coaches and politicians. They believe in a greater cause, so they don't spend their time thinking about this. They think about what is coming and what has happening and what they do have. When life is blown apart, you find out what you truly believe. Come on, let, let, let's, let's talk real. How many of you lose your mind over the dumbest stuff? Seriously, what? come on, come on. Let me just speak. We can do better. We're Christ followers. We have all we need in Jesus Christ. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Paul inspires me. Um... My wife says from time to time, you remind me of Paul. And I'm not sure if that's good or bad. <laughs> but courage is contagious, isn't it? The early church father named Tertullian said this about courageous martyrs who gave their lives up for Christ. When asked about all these martyrs that were dying, he said this, that their blood is the seed for the next church. 
You see, you can kill the messenger or criticize the messenger, and they were trying that, some of his friends, but you can't kill the message. He kept on advancing the gospel. Hard times give us a platform to advance the gospel. So Friday night, I shared this with our men. We were looking at Deuteronomy chapter 20, and it was the things you do, prepare yourself when you go to war. And I said, told him this true account about Leonidas of Sparta. He was the king. He was the general of an army, and he was going against this other army that had tens of thousands of thousands of thousands of thousands of thousands of thousands more soldiers. And he was just this fledgling group of Spartans that they were courageous. And so the, the, the opposing general sent word to Leonidas. And so he opened up, the messenger came and said, this is from your opposing, who had numerous, thousands more soldiers. And, and, and in this letter, it said this. He, he, he told him, he taunted him and said, we have so many arrows that will be flying at you that we will block the sun. You know what Leonidas' reply was? Then I guess we'll fight in the shade. <laughs> That's courage. Paul demonstrated courage four ways in this passage and throughout this book. He faced difficulty with joy. He used every opportunity to speak for Christ. He demonstrated a complete lack of fear. He refused to complain or blame others. He said to live is Christ and to die is gain. He didn't say not to live is money and to die is to leave it all behind. Not to live is fame and die and to be quickly forgotten. Not to live is power and influence and to die is to lose both. Not to live is possessions and to die is to depart with nothing in my hands. He said to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why? Because the best is yet to come. You see... To die is to gain more of what we've all been longing for our whole lives, Jesus Christ. Christ is the essence of our lives. We can't lose either way. We can live, we got him, we can die, we get more of him. Isn't that why Revelation chapter 21, 4 gives us this, this reminder, this encouragement? Revelation chapter four, 21, verse 4, just listen. John on the island of Patmos had this vision of heaven, and he's trying to describe heaven, and he says, this is what heaven will be. He says, he, Jesus, will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. The old order has passed away. That's heaven. That's our home. During one particularly hard moment in Winston Churchill's political career, he was said to wonder out loud why something happened to him. His wife replied, it was a blessing in disguise. Churchill said, if it's a blessing in disguise, it's certainly well disguised. You see, you might not know in this lifetime why, and it might be months, and you might have lost something near and dear to you, and it's been years, and you're still trying to figure it out. 
Listen to me. God knows why. And he promises to never leave you nor forsake you. And he promises, hear me out, hear me out. He promises to work it out for his good for you. You see, it's those times when we have to say, I need to trust in God's character more than my emotions. Hardships reveal what we truly believe about our God. Only Jesus can truly satisfy whether you have or don't have, whether you are known or unknown, whether we live or we die. And the good news is this. Here, hear me. Here's the good news. Death only sweetens the pie because we get more of what we've always longed for, Jesus. So maybe the Spirit of God is telling you today you need to let go of that habit of judging someone else. Maybe he's reminding you to strip yourselves of that negative attitude. Maybe he's telling you to take a look at what you do have instead of what he's not giving you or she's not giving you or she hasn't done. Take a look at all the blessings you have and listen. Because when we do, we jump on the wagon of joy and we fully trust God again. Oh God, help us. The world desperately needs Jesus Christ. We have everything we need in you, Lord. I'm encouraged by Paul and his faith, and I'm encouraged that he never spoke negatively. I'm encouraged that he said, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. I'm encouraged that even when voices from other preachers came after him, he says, well, it gives them a chance to advance the gospel, and I'm here to advance the gospel. And God, even now, I'm encouraged by the testimonies of these baptisms that are about to take place. These precious people are saying, I'm going public, and I want this church in the world to know that Jesus is all I need. I pray you bless their families, bless this moment, God, and may you get greater glory as a result of these testimonies. We ask this in the strong and powerful and mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.